Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about issues of the day from a biblical perspective, as well as highlights from interviews, conferences, and events. Here's Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. I'm joined by attorney David Shostokas. David is a former Cook County Assistant State's Attorney. He's a Republican candidate for Attorney General, and he's counsel for the Illinois Conservative Union. Dave, Republicans in the legislature and conservative attorneys are arguing that Governor Pritzker has exceeded his emergency powers in his response to the Chinese Communist Party virus, COVID shutting down churches at the outset of the pandemic and now extending his executive orders every 30 days. Is the governor off course? Has he exceeded his powers? Yeah, the governor is clearly off course and the uh, legislature themselves have uh, abdicated their authority in terms of what they uh, can and cannot do or what they should do. But the governor is relying upon uh, an Illinois Emergency Management Act. And the Illinois Emergency Management Act provides for the governor to assume certain kinds of powers under certain declared disasters. And what the Emergency Management Act provides is that the governor has, may exercise those powers for 30 days and then uh, go to the legislature. He has not done that, far exceeding the authority that was given to him by the Illinois Emergency Management Act. Interesting thing about that is, is about 20 years ago, that law in uh, the year 2000 during the tenure of Attorney General Ryan, there was an exposition of that law in terms of an Attorney General opinion. And that Attorney General opinion, in fact, described what uh, the limits were on the governor's authority and specifically indicated that he had to go to the legislature within 30 days. That has not taken place without any change in the law. The law was never changed, it was never touched, at least on this uh, particular subject. In May 2020, shortly after the governor's first executive order, the attorney general came and uh, put forth a new opinion that says, uh, relative to what happened in the year 2000 and that we've been operating under for the last 20 years, never mind, we don't care. The governor can continually uh, renew a uh, new disaster every 30 days. So all they simply did was ignore the law, rewrite it to a way that they fashioned, didn't involve the legislature at all, and uh, he should have involved the legislature way back within the 30 days of the first order. But this is a pandemic, David, and if you get the legislature involved, nothing will get done. There is no pandemic exception to the United States Constitution or to the Bill of Rights. And from 1775 through about 1789, we're in the midst of a smallpox pandemic on the North American continent. One out of every three people that contracted smallpox, in fact, died. It was a terrible pandemic. And uh, beginning in, 19, in 1775, we only had, oh, I don't know, Concord and Lexington and Bunker Hill. And shortly thereafter, uh, George Washington was uh, appointed the commander in chief of the newly formed Continental Army. We uh, issued the Declaration of Independence. We uh, declared war on the largest superpower in the world at that particular moment in time. Fought the war over the next seven Seven years, won the war in 1783, and then after that went to operate under the Articles of Confederation, found that wasn't so hot, created the Constitution 1787 to 1789, 1791 we adopted the Bill of Rights. Nowhere during that time did anybody that put together any of these laws mention 
smallpox, which was killing one out of every three people. So it's very clear that there was no intention of abrogating, doing away with anybody's personal rights or freedom of religion, freedom of association, freedom of assembly. There was no indication that any governor could do that for any reason because, of course, the Constitution was born during a pandemic and there's no mention of a pandemic there. So I would suggest the governor's never had the authority to do any of the stuff that he's doing. I'm particularly concerned about the governor's mandate in regard to private schools, religious schools, and government interfering essentially with a religious school. It seems like that just goes way too far. Well, it clearly does go way too far in terms of uh, their decision to protect us. You know, I think we need to be properly informed and everybody needs to be able to make their own decisions. But clearly, when you uh, go past the situation where you're infringing upon somebody's personal conscience and their, and their religious freedom, then clearly you've stepped over the bounds. But the bounds have been trampled upon in the last year. And uh, interestingly enough, again, one of the uh, enablers for uh, Governor Pritzker has been Kwame Raoul by just simply rewriting interpretation of the law. He was sitting there for 20 years as the appropriate law of the state of Illinois. Kwame said, ah, never mind. Well, you're running for Illinois Attorney General, and you've alluded to it, but tell us, how would you interpret the law? Certainly, it would have been the 30 days, and Governor, you're, you're over, because it's quite clear what the obligation of the governor to do under that circumstance is to go to the legislature, have a renewal of the powers, or have, uh, have the legislature participate in the solutions so that it is not dictatorial, one-person, one-man rule. And there's been a variety of uh, challenges to uh, the governor's orders, and of course, Attorney General has been defending them all as opposed to sitting down with the governor and saying, no, you're over the line here, governor. The Attorney General has much more authority. The Attorney General is independently elected. The Attorney General is not appointed by and does not work for the governor. The Attorney General has a responsibility to the people of the uh, state of Illinois. And knee-jerk defense of government officials by the Attorney General is not representing the people, it's representing the government. Dave, as an attorney and other attorneys, you maintain that Governor Pritzker has exceeded his emergency powers during the pandemic. If the courts decide that, yes, in fact, he has done that, what happens? Well, I would hope, I would like to hope that the legislature would do what they were supposed to do under the law in the first place, and that is get together and properly have hearings and regulate these matters and, and uh, make decisions based on good information rather than the uh, dictatorial powers that the governors assumed. Let, let's just assume momentarily that the, all the court says, is, no, you can't do this, you're supposed to go to the legislature. Then let's, let's hope that the legislature does what they're supposed to do in the, uh, in the first instance. That's, uh, that would certainly be the first response. Say the governor's exceeded his powers and these, these mandates, if you will, are no longer in effect. People are losing their jobs now because they refuse to get the vaccine. And they've been denied uh, conscience objection and religious exemptions. What recourse do they have? Not that long ago, the uh, federal government had a uh, eviction moratorium that the uh, Supreme Court said was unconstitutional. And after it expired, the uh, Biden administration went ahead and reinstituted the thing that a month before the uh, Supreme Court had said it was unconstitutional. So it's very, very difficult to uh, tell people, you know, well, we're going to take care of this in the law when there's uh, all this uh, lawlessness by 
people that actually are running the government. Despite the fact that's the case, we cannot cede that ground, we cannot give up that ground. Certainly uh, bodily integrity regarding the mandate, regarding the vaccines themselves, is uh, certainly uh, an important value. And when we get rid of that value, we're uh, something less than Americans. I wish we could uh, wake up tomorrow and tell these people that they are avoiding the law that they should be following, making reasonable accommodations for people with whom they disagree. We're part of the whole cancel culture situation where if you disagree, we're just going to erase you. That's kind of how the uh, vaccine mandates are proceeding. YouTube now shutting out information that they deem to be false yes. about vaccines. Here we go, media dictating what's true and what's false. Boy, is there a legal remedy to all that? That's a very interesting question, Monty, and I would uh, suggest that there might may very well be in the long run. In the short run, we've got to deal with the world as it is. In the uh, longer run, I've got some theories that people are working under for uh, how they've been uh, deprived on a contract basis. There's other kind of situations where uh, President Trump is currently uh, got a lawsuit against uh, some of the larger uh, social media companies with the theory that because they have in fact collaborated on information with the uh, Biden administration, they are no longer private companies, but they are actually an arm of the government. And if in fact they're an arm of the government, they are then governed by the First Amendment and then have to allow free speech and uh, expressions of conscience. Regime media, there we go. Yes. Uh, this is Illinois Family Spotlight, joined by attorney David Shostokas. We'll continue our conversation after this. Can science predict all human behavior? For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. According to a recent article in The Economist, the digital revolution is poised to, quote, upend the practice of macroeconomics. With so much of our life lived online, it's now possible to know nearly everything about an average person's consumer behavior, from the amount of produce they buy to what they're watching on Netflix. Now, the technical term for this is econometrics. In the extreme, it treats people like predictable robots. With enough data, the theory goes, we can reliably predict consumer behavior in any given scenario. That's one thing to predict purchases, but people should never be reduced to mere statistics. Maybe that's why The Economist warns that the biggest danger with this approach is hubris. Like in Mao's China, reducing people to numbers dehumanizes them. The Christian worldview, however, is bigger. People are not programmable cogs in a global marketing machine. We're not units of the state. We're more than our material appetites. We're capable of glorious heights and catastrophic failures, made in God's image and in need of redemption. I'm John Stone Street. Joining Illinois Family Spotlight, Monty Larrick here. I'm joined by Attorney David Shostokas. David is a former Cook County Assistant State's Attorney. He's a Republican candidate for Illinois Attorney General and also counsel for the Illinois Conservative Union, which is fighting for access to voting rolls here in Illinois. And what could they find? The uh, voting rolls are, are huge. You know, we're, uh, we're lucky that we've had any number of people that have uh, data skills. One of the projects I had while I was in Pennsylvania, I'd gotten this list of 600 voters. The first column was in fact uh, the voters' name, date of birth. Next column was the date that they requested a mail-in ballot. The second date was the fact that with the date that the ballot went out. The third date was the date that the ballot came back from the voter. And the fourth date was the uh, date that got fed into the machine and counted. But the last column of the, uh, of the list was uh, among the more important and that was the distance from the voters' polling place to their gravesite. 
Really? And there was, um, and the, I, my understanding is the list in Pennsylvania was 21,000 strong. I had a list that I was working on to vet that had 600. All that it took to uh, determine that was a fellow that took the uh, voting information from Pennsylvania, ran it against Ancestry.com, and he came up with the 21,000 people who voted in Pennsylvania that actually were dead and buried. And uh, that's the kind of information you can have when you have the data and you have fashion where you can, in fact, work with it. And so uh, that's one of the things that we'll expect to do is do that kind of analysis. And once we have that kind of analysis, the uh, folks from the Illinois Conservative Union have uh, a program that they're involved in called RIP, let the voters rest in peace. Uh, and uh, they'll be taking this data to the county clerks around the state to see to it that these people get off the rolls. And the interesting thing about the data from Pennsylvania is these aren't people that are registered to vote that are dead. These are people that voted that are dead. They requested a ballot. They got it in. They got it. They returned it, you know. Yeah. I thought so, dead voters was exclusive to Illinois. So. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. There's, a, there's very popular. Uh, dead voting is very popular in many places around the country. ICU is challenging the state board of elections. ICU wants to look at the voting rolls and where are we now in this case Yes. and just how important is this? This case is extraordinarily important because ICU is asking for access to the voting, uh, voting rolls in history in a uh, usable format. You know, strangely enough, uh, the uh, Board of Elections said, oh yeah, you guys, can, uh, you guys can have access to this information, this material. All you have to do is come to our offices in Springfield and we'll give you a computer and you can look at everybody one, one at a time, despite the fact there's like six million registrations, right? One of the things uh, that they're uh, fighting for is to be able to have the data in a uh, format that is usable uh, in terms of uh, determining whether or not the Board of Elections has properly done, met its obligations under the National Voter Registration Act. Well, I can see where Democrats would say, you know, you give ICU and other groups uh, access to this, and really what it, this is all about is you're trying to suppress the minority vote. Not trying to suppress any vote, trying to, trying to see to it that illegal votes are not cast. Options for illegal votes are uh, dried up in some respect. The data that the ICU is asking from the state of Illinois, in Pennsylvania, that is available to any citizen 24 hours, seven days a week. You can just uh, go on to the Pennsylvania Registrar of Elections website and you can get everything that ICU is asking the State Board of Elections in Illinois to get. I would suggest that the argument is no good. Hmm. Speaking of impeachment, there are those who suggest that President Biden should be impeached for not protecting our border. What do you think? Yeah, I, that's um, he's uh, supposed to take care that the laws are faithfully executed. You know, it's interesting that a few years ago when the uh, Border Patrol was uh, put, uh, had handcuffs put on them by, uh, by President Obama, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the positions they in fact took was that in fact uh, he had uh, violated his oath because the Immigration Act actually says when a Border Patrol agent comes in contact with an illegal alien or is uh, more popularly known these days undocumented, undocumented immigrant, they shall take them into custody. There is no provision in the law for catch and release. It says they shall take them into custody. And orders, uh, they're, they're under direct orders from the administration now to simply straight out violate the law. Let's talk about your books. You're the author of Constitutional Sound Bites and Creating the Declaration of Independence. Two very important books, very interesting. And because our Constitution is now under attack, 
And with critical race theory being taught in our taxpayer-funded government schools, the ideals of the Declaration are being ignored. They are clearly being ignored. One of the interesting things is that hardly anybody knows about the Declaration of Independence. They hardly know anything. What little, uh, little people are required to do is, generally speaking, uh, memorize the preamble to the Constitution. It starts with we the people, and that's supposed to do things, let people understand what's going on. There's uh, 55 more important words in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, and that's to uh, achieve those ends. And the fact is, is those 55 words define what it is to be an American. They were defined on July 4th, 1776, go figure. That was in place ever since then. But it's also interesting to note that a few uh, sentences later, Thomas Jefferson indicates that should a government fail to meet those uh, obligations, it becomes the uh, duty, the obligation, the right of the people to alter or abolish that government and institute a government that's more, um, more in keeping with, uh, with their happiness. And so the Declaration of Independence being a revolutionary document is not something that is taught in government schools because the government doesn't want to teach people that they have the right of revolution, which is what's in the Declaration of Independence. And so it is systematically ignored. This is problematic for us because it is the philosophy in the Declaration that creates America, that is the ongoing narrative of what this country is actually about. There's so many people that say, that's not who we are as Americans, but they never say who we are. And the fact is, who we are, it was defined in the beliefs on July 4th, 1776, we hold these truths to be self-evident. I like to think my English is pretty good, right? I, but I could go over to London and live there for 20 years, pledge allegiance to the Queen. I'd never become British, right? But if you come here, you follow our law, you follow the rule, you ascribe to the principles of the Declaration of Independence, you become an American. This is the only place in the world where that can happen. But if the Constitution and the Declaration are ignored in our government schools. It would seem to me that down the road, despite uh, having great candidates who are well-funded and voter integrity programs, what have you, it'll be almost impossible to elect a conservative in America, especially if parents continue to send their kids to government schools. It will certainly make it more difficult because of the indoctrination of, uh, of the kids. A long time ago, I, while I was doing my radio program, I had a uh, doctor of philosophy on the program, and we were talking about these kinds of things. And he brought to my attention something. He said, you know, you ever look at a horse in a corral? I said, no, not in detail. He said, go look at the horse in the corral, and you will see that the grass and path around the fence is all worn out despite the fact that the inside of the corral is completely ignored. There is a natural inclination in every living thing to be free. And I have to believe that that exists regardless and will overcome ultimately any kind of indoctrination. Well, how can people get a hold of your books? Books are both available, Creating the Declaration of Independence and Constitutional Soundbites are both available on Amazon, Amazon.com, both in hard copy and in uh, Kindle. Keep an eye on every once in a while I do a speech and I, uh, and I sign books and autograph them, you know. Tell us about your campaign for Illinois Attorney General. How can people connect with you? 
They can find me at uh, Atchastokas uh, is uh, is my Twitter uh, is my Twitter account. Uh, there's a uh, a page, uh, David Shostokas, attorney at law, on, uh, on Facebook. There's also a group on Facebook, Dave Shostokas on the Constitution. Then, of course, there's my own personal website, Shostokas.com, and that's S-H-E-S-T-O-K-A-S.com. And we will have information there about, uh, about the campaign, how people can help, why it's important. There's a l- interesting uh, about, we'll talk about the attorney general just for a moment. Historically, at least here in the state of Illinois, nobody's actually run a campaign for attorney general. They usually are the wingman for the governor, right? Or uh, some other powerful uh, state politician like the, uh, oh, I don't know, the speaker's uh, daughter, uh, you know, things like that. And so we've not had in a long, long time an attorney general that actually is concerned about seeing to it that the people of Illinois, rather than the government of Illinois, has the legal protections that they're entitled to. David, if you're elected Illinois Attorney General, will you defend the right of parents to home educate their children? And will you defend the right of Christian private schools to teach their beliefs to kids without government interference? Absolutely. Everybody should have the opportunity. We're going to defend parents' rights across the board on, on many, many issues, education uh, certainly being uh, prime among them. I think it's important for uh, people to have that option, to know that that option exists, and uh, they should have the choices of uh, educating their children. You know, there's a, a lot of opposition to that taking place, and the government itself sometimes stands in the way by trying to impose upon home schools some of the same regulations that they have for schools that have three, four, five, a thousand students. There's some absurdities uh, where the government wants to discourage home education. The government should not discourage home education. The government should protect the rights of uh, parents to have those kinds of options available to them and make their own decisions when it comes to educating their children. Well, David, thank you so much for participating in Illinois Family Spotlight. And folks, thank you for tuning in. Please tell your family and friends about Illinois Family Spotlight and stay healthy, stay active, and God bless. For more information about Illinois Family Spotlight, visit ifiaction.org. And to email questions and comments, do so at feedback at ifiaction.org.